Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with Wisdom Gives Life, as we pick up in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 5. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. It's just emptiness. Surely oppression makes a wise man mad, and a gift destroys the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. You always hear them talk about the good old days. And he said, that's not always so true. The good old days when we didn't, when you women didn't have automatic dishwashers and vacuum cleaners and wall-to-wall carpeting in your house and supermarkets down the block. But you all grew your own gardens, ground your own flower, used the scrub board. Oh, the good old days. (laughs) No, we have it pretty nice, you know. We we always look back, though, and and we think about the days of our youth when Orange County wasn't crowded, when it was full of orange trees instead of subdivisions. But there are advantages both ways. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those that have it. Money's good, but wisdom will give life to those that have wisdom. Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? Well, who can actually do anything against the work of God. You know, we're powerless and helpless against the work of God. In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider, God also hath set the one over against the other to the end that a man should find nothing after him. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. And there is a just man that perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongs his life in his wickedness. I've observed this. There have been good men who perished, died young in their righteousness. There were wicked men who lived many years. Therefore, his conclusion, now it's not scriptural, it's not biblical, I mean, it's not in the sense, it's not godly, human, Looking at life, seeing that, you know, a righteous man died young and a sinner lived to be a D.O.M., became a dirty old man. (laughs) He came to this conclusion, truly just pure human wisdom. 
don't be overly righteous. Don't, you know, get too involved in righteousness. Neither make thyself overwise. Why should you destroy yourself? And now, it's a wrong thing. The righteous don't always die young. There are some beautiful old saints of God. But don't be overly righteous. Why should you kick off soon? Also, don't be overly wicked. Be moderately wicked. <laughs> Neither be thou foolish. Why should you die before your time? So, purely human type of reasoning of life. It is good that you should take hold of this. Yes, also from this withdraw not thine hand, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten mighty men which are in a city. For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Now, in this, he was correct. The Bible said there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. A, a human observation that is correct. Also take no heed unto the words that are spoken, lest thou hear your servant curse thee. <laughs> they say that an eavesdropper rarely hears anything good about himself. You know, you're that kind of person that's always trying to eavesdrop on others' conversation. And so he's sort of warning you against that. Don't take heed into where, don't, you know, be trying to listen to what they say. You're going to find out they're cursing you. For you know how that oftentimes in your own heart you have likewise cursed others. All this have I proved by wisdom, not by God. I've proved it by wisdom. But the wisdom of man, the scripture said, is foolishness with God. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which is afar off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even the foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, and her hands as bands. Whoso pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner will be caught by her. Behold, this I have found, saith the preacher or the debater, or the, oh, the word, it was translated into the Septuagint and Ecclesia, the assembler. One by one to find out the account which yet my soul seeks, but I have not found, or find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. So in all of his thousand wives, he didn't find a decent one. <laughs> now, he did find one man out of a thousand, so men have a little better record as far as Solomon is concerned. But you might, of course, also observe he didn't marry any of the men, and you don't really know a person until you marry them. <laughs> But if he, you know, was, was you know, people, it's interesting, people um, seem to repeat mistakes. And uh, you, you find a person who has been married uh, five, six, seven times, it really can't be that the other person was wrong all the time. You say, well, it might be. It might be the person is just a 
who has been married that many times is just a poor judge of character. And they're following a pattern because we often do. We marry the same kind of a person. And always you think, oh, the second time around, you know, I'd be wiser and I'd make a better choice and all. But we, we are bound by certain patterns. And if, of course, you get a godly, righteous woman, her price is far above rare rubies, and you'll find one in a thousand every time you find one who loves the Lord. How glorious it is, how beautiful it is to have a wife who loves God, who calls upon the Lord. What a blessing and what an asset they are to our lives. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. God made us straight, but boy, how we have searched otherwise. Who is a wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God, be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of the king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what are you doing? The king uh, stands as, as the authority. You can't really come to the king and say, hey, what are you doing? And the same is true of God. Paul said, who are you to say unto him that has created you, why hast thou made me thus? The sovereignty of the king, which also speaks of the sovereignty of God. Whoso keeps the commandments shall feel no evil thing, and a wise man hearts discerns both time and judgment. Because to every purpose there is a time and judgment. Therefore, the misery of man is great upon him. For he knoweth not that which shall be. For who can tell him when it shall be? So you don't really know what's going to be, when it's going to be. The future is so uncertain. There is no man that has power over his spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. And there's no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. No man has any power over his spirit. When, when the time comes for you to die, you don't have any power over your spirit to retain it, to, to cause your spirit to remain. No power in death. The only one who really did exercise that kind of power over his spirit was Jesus Christ. When on the cross, it said he bowed his head and dismissed his spirit. He had earlier said unto them, no man takes my life from me, I give my life. And in order to keep with what he said, no man takes my life, when he was hanging there on the cross after he cried, it is finished, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He bowed his head, and it said, and he dismissed his spirit. He said, okay, you can go now. And he died. He had power over his spirit to dismiss it. We don't have that power. All this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man rules over another to his own hurt. 
And so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and there were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This also is vanity. I see life moving on. People are soon forgotten after they die. Life is empty. Now, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. One of the common mistakes that people make is that of misinterpreting the nature of God. One aspect of God's nature is his tremendous patience with rebelling man. God is exceedingly long-suffering. God puts up with so much. He doesn't strike immediately, but oftentimes forestalls judgment for months, for years. And thus it appears that the evil man is getting away with his evil actions, his evil deeds. And people begin to misinterpret the long-suffering of God because he doesn't execute his sentence speedily, because he doesn't immediately come down to the fist of judgment upon a man. A man many times thinks he's getting away with his evil thinks he's put one over on God, thinks that he has been clever and has hid his sin from God, or worse yet, thinks that God is condoning what he has done because I'm still blessed and I'm prosperous. You know, I'm a prosperous cheat, so God, you know, is condoning my cheating. It doesn't matter to God that I cheat. It doesn't matter to God that I lie or I steal or whatever because, look, I'm blessed. It doesn't matter to God that I'm living in a moral life because, you know, look at all that I have. And, and people begin to misinterpret God's grace and God's long-suffering as God's approbation for their actions and for their lives. Not so. That's a fatal mistake to me. God does know. God does see. God does care. God will judge. But because God doesn't judge immediately, because the sentence of God isn't executed speedily, because God is giving you opportunity to turn, God is giving you opportunity to repent, God is giving you the opportunity to, to come out of your sin and to be saved. And he's very patient with you. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come into repentance. You see, the real delay in the return of Jesus Christ is just God's unwillingness that men should perish. As Peter is talking about the second coming of the Lord, he said, hey, in the last days, there are going to be scoffers that are going to come saying, oh, where's the promise of Jesus coming again? They've been talking about that for years. He hasn't come. And he's not going to come. Things just continue as they were from the beginning. But Peter said, hey, God isn't slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but he's faithful to us, word. 
but he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Therefore, consider ye actually this time as, as God's patience in order that men might be saved. So because God has waited so long, because God hasn't speedily executed his sentence against the evil, people begin to assume that God has just withdrawn himself, that Jesus isn't coming again, that all of the talk of the rapture of the church and the return of Jesus Christ is just pipe dreams, a misinterpretation of scriptures, and, and they begin to make fun of the return of Jesus Christ. They begin to scoff at it, even as Peter said they would. It's because they are misinterpreting the patience of God waiting for men to be saved because God is not willing that any should perish. So God is very kind. He's very loving. He's very patient. He's very long-suffering. He's giving you chance after chance after chance. But it is tragic when people misinterpret God's patience and God's kindness, and thus they give their hearts over to evil because they think that God is too remote to care. It doesn't really matter to God how I live. God doesn't really know. And they give their hearts and their lives over to evil to live an evil life. That is a tragic, fatal mistake of misinterpreting God's grace and God's goodness to you. So though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged. Remember he was talking about how he saw that the, you know, the ungodly man was living a long life. The righteous were dying young and the ungodly were living long. So though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. Now in the end, the best life is the life of fearing God, walking with God. Fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. So I know that in the long run, that life is the best. It's going to be well with the man who has departed from evil, but it shall not be well with the wicked. In the end, God's judgment will come. You can't escape it. God's judgment will come. And thus I surely know it will be well with those that fear God, but it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a, which are as a shadow, because he fears not before God. Now there is a vanity which is done upon the earth, and there be just men unto whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. So I said this also is vanity. Things happen to both good and evil man. Same kind of experiences to both. A righteous man gets cancer, 
an unrighteous man gets cancer. A righteous man is prospered, an unrighteous man is prospered. He makes this observation. What happens to one happens to the other. It's emptiness. Then I commended merriment because a man hath no better thing, and this is his human philosophy and human reasoning coming out again. Hey, it's great to be merry because the man has no better thing under the sun. And this is probably true. Under the sun, man, life is just very shallow, and you live life on a very shallow level. And under the sun, the best thing to do is just to eat and drink and be merry. Because, man, that's all she wrote. That's the sum of life for you. So you might as well live it up because you're going to be burning after a while. So, you know, live it up now. Life under the sun. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Ecclesiastes on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Ecclesiastes 7 through 8 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless you and keep you steadfast in the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And may you experience each day more of His love, more of His Spirit working in your life as you yield yourself to God. And may God thus enable you to do His work. And may your life be blessed as you serve the Lord. Maybe they seem like very small things, But God help you to be faithful in the little things and not to despise the days of small things. For if you are faithful in the little things, then God will place more responsibility upon you. But don't force it. Just flow with the Spirit in Jesus. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. It is my great pleasure to present Pastor Chuck's commentary on the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles is an open-ended book. Jesus continues even to the present day to work in the lives of people throughout the world through those who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. This book also includes a special foreword written by Pastor John Corson. We studied the book of Acts, but we never saw the book of Acts. 
but we were seeing the moving of the Holy Spirit. Calvary Chapel family, may you always be known as a people who pray in Jesus' name, that it would be Jesus Christ, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. May the Jesus movement continue on. To order a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, The Acts Commentary, please call the word for today at 1-800-272-9673 or visit us online to read a sneak preview of the book by visiting thewordfortoday.org.